Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. How an innovative app is being used to help the visually impaired. It basically makes a live video connection between a blind person's smartphone and a sighted volunteer smartphone. And in this way, you can get a pair of eyes on demand within 30 seconds. A new innovation for a device that enables disabled people to ski. And when I started looking at the equipment that the athletes were using, I was blown away by how amazing it was and how well designed it is. And how the phenomenon of the phantom limb could be harnessed to enhance prosthetics. The scientists in this case managed to detect those muscle twitches using these electrodes and then use that to drive the prosthetic arm. I'm Kenneth Kukier, and you're listening to a special edition of Babbage looking at disability technology. But first, I'm joined by Hans-Jorgen Weiberg, founder of Be My Eyes, an award-winning crowdsourcing app that helps over 100,000 of blind and low-vision individuals around the world. Hans, welcome to Babbage. Thank you so much. So it's probably best that you tell us exactly how this app works. Well, it's a pretty simple app, and it basically makes a live video connection between a blind person's smartphone and a sighted volunteer smartphone. So if you are in your kitchen and you need to see something and you are alone and you don't have anybody uh, around you, you can just uh, pull out your phone and tap the Be My Eyes app, and then we will find a volunteer for you who speaks the same language and pretty much living in the same time zone. And then we just make this uh, live video connection. And in this way, you can get a pair of eyes on demand within 30 seconds or something. How would a blind person use a smartphone if it's a touchscreen? They don't have something like Braille where there's a tactility to it. Well, that's where these screen readers, as they are called, come in. So when a blind person is using a smartphone, they just put the finger on the screen and the phone will say what you're touching. And they have a whole variety of gestures that they can swipe up and down and with two and three and four fingers and so on. And when you learn that, you can navigate your phone just as fast as you can. And it's really amazing how this has changed blind people's lives and being a part of the normal smartphone Life. And so how many blind people do you have on the platform and how many people with vision do you have on the platform? We're super proud of our numbers. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Uh, we have over 100,000 blind people signed up. Amazing. We have 1.8 million volunteers. And this is also why we can make it uh, worldwide. All our volunteers together, they speak uh, more than 180 different languages. Uh, so doesn't really matter what language you like to get help in. Uh, we can find someone for you. And how did you get the idea to create this app? Well, I'm visually impaired myself, and I've been working for the Danish Blind Association for a number of years. My eyesight is going, uh, so I'm, I'm ending up being blind. So I think it would be a nice thing to have, and I uh, couldn't find it anywhere. So <laughs> I had to kind of do it myself. So that's why I came up with this idea. 
This is such an interesting technology because it opens the imagination for where else it can go to help other people. Have you thought about how the idea behind the app can be extended to other domains? We have been thinking quite, quite a lot about that. We would love to make our technique available to other people and, and so on, but it's just too much work for us right now to look into other areas. Too much work for you, but what idea do you think can be harnessed from this same sort of principle to go into an area that's not being served right now that maybe someone else listening to the program can carry forward? Well, I think that is a big, thing called uh, loneliness, where people maybe not even uh, need a specific uh, uh, task done, but they simply need someone to talk to, and that would be kind of a, a beautiful thing to go into. I think that uh, a lot of uh, maybe elderly people would like to have uh, someone else's uh, grandson fix their computer, uh, maybe remote and uh, and so on. So I think there's a lot of things that can be done, and I'm sure some of those things are being done already. Uh, I just don't know about it. So. And so what do you see as the future? What still do you need to do? It's pretty much more of the same because even uh, I'm super proud of our 100,000 blind people. Uh, when you look at the total numbers in the world, it's just a very small beginning. And what makes me super happy is that we can see that blind people are getting more and more on this uh, smartphone thing, our main goal is simply to get as many blind people involved in this, especially because we have so extremely many volunteers who really want to help. <laughs> uh, I get emails from our volunteers, and why don't I get any calls? Uh, and and <laughs> so we, we have the capacity of helping a lot more blind people without getting uh, any more volunteers on board, really. So, and that's, uh, that's a wonderful feeling. So we just try to, to get the word out and, uh, and of course, partner up with as many companies as we can so we also can make it a sustainable business. This is great. Hans, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Disabled people have been taken to the piste since the late 1960s using a variety of contraptions, some of which are known as sit-skis. The usual arrangement is a bucket seat suspended on a shock absorber above a single ski. The skier then uses their upper body and a pair of handheld outriggers formed from poles with small skis attached to the base to control their descent. However, Mark Ireland, the chief engineer with HVM Catapult, has taken on the challenge to further develop the sit ski. I'm joined now by Mark to discuss this. Hello, Mark. Hi there. I'm also joined by Anna Turney, a former British Alpine skier who used a sit-ski in competitions and has represented Great Britain at the 2010 and 2014 Winter Paralympic Games. Hello, Anna. Hi. Mark, to you, how did it come about that you redesigned the sit-ski? So the project kind of came about almost by accident. Um, I work for the high-value manufacturing catapult, and our job is to promote manufacturing technology and to help manufacturing companies in the UK. And we do a lot of research work for pretty much any manufacturing company that you can think of. Now, I happened to be skiing.
skiing and I saw the para-alpine downhill skiing in Tien in France. And when I started looking at the equipment that the athletes were using, I was blown away by how amazing it was and how well designed it is. But I started wondering to myself if we could take some of these research manufacturing processes that we were applying in the aerospace and automotive industries. And if we took a different design approach to the sit ski, I was wondering what we could achieve, but also use it as a technology demonstrator so that we could try and enthuse people. Now, Anna, how are you involved in the design of the prototype? I was involved from the beginning, really. Mark came to me with the idea, and it sounded exciting and kind of novel. And we had meetings and talked about how it might work. And then we started off doing the testing. So the guys put testing equipment all over. So on my chest, on my hips, on the sit ski, I was sitting in on the, on the actual foot plate and on the ski, the foot plate of the sit ski is attached to. And then we could really log the data. Has it inspired, as you'd hoped, other companies to step forward and reimagine how they can manufacture high-value goods? The, the Sitski was uh, completely digitally designed, and we used the data from this low-cost telemetry. And some people are calling it digital twinning, but we're speaking to loads of companies about digital twinning. So how can you use data to come up with a mathematical model that means you can build something right first time, rather than having to build it, test it, build it, test it, build it, test it? And Anna, what are your hopes for the future in terms of this technology and in terms of skiing? In terms of skiing, I hope and I think this technology will be used. So Scott Hillier is an aspiring GB athlete who's progressing really well. And he's been involved in this project and actually tested the sit ski on the mountains in the snow. So hopefully he'll move, be able to move forward with it, not necessarily with this sit ski, but I know that they've worked on the... Um, carbon fiber composite seat for him and the fairing so the kind of chassis i've retired from sport but um still love skiing for fun so um it's always good to get best kit you can because it makes such a massive difference for athletes anna mark thank you very much thanks very much ken thanks ken and finally Engineers have recently demonstrated an artificial limb that users can control just by thinking about moving their missing arms or legs. It exploits a phenomenon known as phantom limb, where amputees continue to feel sensations where the missing body part used to be. To discuss how this works, I'm joined by Alok Jha, the Economist science correspondent. Hello, Alok. Hi, Ken. Alok, moving prosthetics by thought is not actually new. So what is actually happening now? So this arm that's been demonstrated by a team of French researchers uses a thing called phantom limb. Now, phantom limb is a widely known phenomenon. When you, If you have an arm or a leg that's missing, often you get a lot of pain still associated with the missing limb. And so phantom limb is kind of seen as this negative thing. And so what is new is these researchers have used this kind of negative and kind of taboo thing to actually allow these patients to actually control a prosthetic. Now, yes, you can control prosthetics using thoughts or uh, electronics before, but it's quite invasive. So if, for example, you have a, an arm that's uh, missing, uh, what surgeons might do is to take the nerves that used to supply that arm, those hands, and, uh, for example, and reattach them to some muscles in your chest. And then what you have to then do is learn certain twitches in your chest 
which produce electricity in, in, um, on your skin, which is then detected by electrodes, and then that will control your arm. And that's quite invasive. It can be quite dangerous, but it's quite well known as a, a technique. It's called targeted muscle re-innovation, and it takes a long time to learn all those twitches, and sometimes it doesn't work. People often give up, so it's not great. So how is this technique different? So what uh, the French scientists did in this case was, rather than any surgery, what they simply did was attach some electrodes onto the skin of the stumps of two patients. And these detected electrical patterns on the muscle as the patients thought about moving their phantom limbs. And those movements in their minds are associated with certain muscle twitches in the arm, which they don't think about, they just happen. And so the scientists in this case managed to detect those muscle twitches using these electrodes and then use that to drive the prosthetic arm. Are there any downsides to this technique? Well, so the algorithms in question didn't recognize the sort of speed or the amplitude of a person's movements. They just recognized the type of movement. So if a person thought about closing the hand, then the algorithm would then close the hand of the prosthetic. But you couldn't do it to a certain force or anything like that. The other thing that was interesting was that the amount of processing, computer processing it takes to read the electrical signals on the arm, process the information, and then move the actual prosthetic limb. It, there was a delay. It was about half a second of delay, which might not sound like a huge amount, but it actually stops you from embodying that prosthetic arm as part of your body. That delay sort of makes you think it's something else and it's very difficult to use in that case. So obviously that has to be improved. But it sounds like these techniques are all the things that do get improved with a young technology and that this will be the new way that prosthetics will function. Well, you'd hope so, yeah. So I think it, it seems to be much, much simpler for a start. You don't have to do any surgery. Much safer for that reason too. Much cheaper, again, uh, the surgery is always a difficult thing to do. And, you know, if you can stick three or four electrodes onto uh, onto skin and find these sort of muscle actions that allow you to control the arm, of course, it'll be, it'll be much better. I think that there is a lot of development necessary because the techniques I've mentioned already, the surgery and the other prosthetics, they're quite well established uh, for, for several years now. I think that the reason this might happen more quickly than other technologies is because the way that the electrodes record the information and then pass it on to the prosthetic arm uses machine learning to actually detect the patterns of electrical activity, which has not been possible before. That's really interesting. Alec, thank you very much. Very welcome. And that's all for this edition of Babbage. Don't forget to pick up the latest issue of The Economist or find us online at economist.com. I'm Kenneth Kukier in London. This is The Economist. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.